All right. Good morning, everybody. You're a rowdy bunch. Glad you're here today. And I always love third service. I think it's because you get more coffee in you before you get here. Anybody else does? You have a lot more energy. Hey, Dick, do we have plenty of seats now? You have plenty of seats? Yeah, okay. So I'm just going to ask you to move. Why don't you move anyway? Just, you know, just move. If you can, just leave the aisles clear. There are some seats in the middle. Move towards those and leave the aisles clear for people who still might want to come in. Uh, that would be awesome. And um, Christ is risen. Uh, those three words are why we're here today to talk about the fact that he's risen from the dead. And so what I hope today is in the time that we have together is to kind of walk us through the reality of Easter and how the reality of Easter can actually actually impact our lives if we let it. It's really going to be our choice if we let it. Now, right up front, I just know that uh, because, you know, I've not always been a pastor or, you know, and uh, I was a long time out of church and then came back to church. I, I know that sometimes for some of us, the whole idea of talking about a dead man coming back to life, well, that kind of catches some of us a little bit, actually catches in our throat just a little bit. Uh, the whole idea of the fact that a dead man could come back to life. I mean, you think about Jesus and talk about the things about Jesus we might look at. Uh, it's a whole lot easier to accept the fact that a baby could be born, right? That he'd be born in a manger, you know, because we have babies. So it's a whole lot easier to accept the fact that that could happen. It's a whole lot easier when you look at the life of Jesus and you hear this phrase actually used about Jesus to think that Jesus was a great teacher. Uh, and it's a lot easier. A lot of world religions uh, based their, you know, a lot of folks look at Jesus as a good teacher, that kind of thing. Uh, and so we follow him. It's a lot easier to think about that. It's a lot easier to talk about the cross, actually. You know, you look at a cross and you realize that a cross was an instrument of death and we all die. And so it's easier for us to focus on the whole idea of the cross. But when it comes back to a dead man coming back to life, well, that's another story. It's a whole nother issue. And so some of us, you know, if we're real honest, we kind of think, okay, Ron, but I come on Easter, but, you know, when it comes to a dead man coming back to life, well, you know, that's kind of Sunday school stuff. Or, you know, really, a dead man coming back to life, that's really for, like, kind of fanatical, you know, right-winger types that would look at that kind of thing about a dead man coming back to life. But, Ron, honestly, reasonable people? Do reasonable people really believe that a man can come back to life? Well, folks, the reality of Easter that I'm going to ask us to face today, the thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other belief system, every other world religion, is the fact that Jesus actually did come back to life. We're going to look at that today. Christ is risen, and that's the foundation for our faith. It's the foundation for our belief system. Now, as much as you know, we like to look at Jesus, some of us may say, okay, Jesus was a great teacher. Well, you know what, folks? The foundation of our faith is not Jesus' teaching. His teaching is awesome, but that's not the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is not a worldview or a philosophy that Jesus brought that we're supposed to adopt to and adapt into our lives. This wasn't a worldview. The foundation of our faith is not even the cross. Now, last week we focused on the cross quite a bit. So you kind of know that's my heart about the cross. If you want to, you know, weren't here, you can watch that talk online. Uh, one thing I didn't mention last week is that when we look at the cross, um, the early Christian fathers, when they were, you know, we talked about symbols last week of Christianity, early Christian symbols. And when they ended up choosing the cross, they picked it for two reasons. One is because it depicted Christ's death. And then it's an empty cross, and that depicts his resurrection. And so Christianity adopted 
the empty cross as our sign of Jesus Christ came to life and then he, uh, as he, and then he died and he came back to life again. The foundation of our faith is none of those things. The foundation of our faith is an event. It's a moment that happened on a morning when God looked down upon his son in a grave and he brought him back to life again. That is the foundation of our faith. And that's the reason we're here today. The reason we celebrate is the fact that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. So if you would go ahead and grab your message notes, that kind of an introduction. I want to ask you to follow along. You can take these out and uh, you can follow along, maybe write some notes down. All the Bible verses I'll use this morning will be here. You can draw pictures, however you want to use this, okay? Just a way to keep you engaged with me as we go through this time together today. And in your Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I uh, just want to encourage you, if you don't own a Bible... Uh, we have Bibles that look just like this. They're on both sides of the doors when you leave today. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd like you to own one. So we want to give you one as our gift. And you can take that with you from by, beside both doors as our gift today. Uh, when you come in here every week and you want to have a Bible with you, you can actually grab it when you come in and you can use it while you're here and then just drop it back off again when you leave. So we'd love to have, see you have a Bible. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, you would think 1 Corinthians 15 is about midway through the New Testament. So you would think that since it's about midway through the New Testament, that chronologically it's about midway through the way that the church was evolving and developing during that day. So, okay, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those must be closest to Christ because they were written by apostles. And then you've got 1 Corinthians. Well, that's further away from the you know, gospel, so it must be further from Christ. But in actuality, 1 Corinthians was written about 50 to 55 A.D., so that means it was written about 20 to 25 years after the death of Jesus. It's the first book, first letter written, gospel letter written, and it talks about the resurrection of Christ. Now, this is going to be important when we look at that in just a little while, because since it was so close in proximity to the actual resurrection of Christ, it's going to list witnesses who were living and saw eyewitnesses who saw Jesus Christ walk and saw him talk and saw the things he did while after he was raised from the dead. So it's going to be really important we look at that a little bit, that this was written so close to the date that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So I'm going to begin. I'm going to read some verses from 14 through 15 and then verse 20. Paul's writing and he says this, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. So, okay, got to know. Paul was a preacher. Paul was, a, and so he's saying this, Here's my occupation. Here's what I've been, my calling from God. And if Christ wasn't written, uh, risen from the grave, then all my preaching is useless. If you want to even go further, he could also say all my writing is useless. Really? Yeah. He says, if Christ was, hasn't been risen from the dead, then you, do, you don't read my writing. He said, don't read it. If Christ hasn't been risen from the dead, you say, well, I like your writing, Paul. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 was in my wedding. He goes, don't do it anymore. Just don't do it. If, it was, if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, then don't read it, he says. And this is what he says. He said, and your faith is useless. My faith? My, I thought this Christian, I thought it was all about faith. He says, no, your faith is useless because it's in the wrong thing if Jesus Christ wasn't risen from the dead. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. Okay, if Christ hasn't been risen from the dead, then we're lying is what he says. And not only are we lying, we're lying about God because the, it, you know, Jesus came and he said that God was going to raise him from the dead. So it says that. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. So if he wasn't risen from the dead, then we're lying about God. I don't think I'd want to lie about God, do you? I don't think I'd want to do that. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest 
of all who have died. So kind of just, you know, wanted to play that out a little bit for you. The writer of over half of the New Testament said, if the resurrection is not true, then we're all wasting our time. We're wasting our time. You dipped, went through a lot of work, bought some nice clothes, got up early, came here today, through a lot of stress to get here. You just actually, he's saying, you wasted your time <laughs> to do that today. That's what he's saying. So he says, if, if, the, if the resurrection didn't happen, then you might as well just live life as if this is all it is and live it for the gusto. If the resurrection didn't happen, then you need to get a bucket list and you need to make the big bucket and you need to spend the rest of your life just filling it up because life is meaningless beyond the grave. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he says, then you might as well go home today and you might as well go back to your eggs and your ham and your peeps (laughs) because it's meaningless. But if it is true, if it really is true, Jesus rising from the dead changes everything. It changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ radically impacted people in his day. And they were so inspired and so empowered by being that close to the resurrection and that close to the risen Christ and seeing him, actually seeing him, that they began a movement that just took the world by storm and it impacted their world in a huge way and it's impacted and changed the lives of billions of people ever since, the reality of the resurrection. So the question you need to ask today, we look at this resurrection and the change that it has brought. The question I want to ask you to ask yourself is this, will you let the resurrection change your life? We let it change your life. You know, in a while, I'm going to give us all a chance to say yes to Jesus Christ. Just let you know where I'm going. There's no greater day to choose Jesus Christ than Easter. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to look at three ideas from 1 Corinthians that will help us to understand the reality of the resurrection. And the first is this. The reality of Easter can change my life when I accept the proof of the resurrection, when I accept the proof of it, the reality or the evidence of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So this is what Paul says. He begins in verse 3. He says, I passed on to you what was most important. Why don't you circle that? Most important. And what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still living, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So here's what Paul says. Right the first of his writing here, he says this. Of first importance is this. This is what I want you to understand, what I want you to get. That of first importance is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And secondly, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We need to understand that. He was raised from the dead. Because here's the deal. If Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead, if he would have remained dead, it would have invalidated everything he said. Everything invalidated everything he taught. Who could accept, who could believe in someone who said they were God, someone who said they'd be raised again, and then they weren't? Who could believe in that? 
Jesus said it himself. He was walking along and he said, you know what? I'm going to Jerusalem. When I get there, the, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees are going to kill me. They're going to put me to death and I'll be buried. And after three days, I will rise again. He spoke those words. So if he hadn't been raised again, those words would have been meaningless. But because he was raised from the dead, those words have meaning. They have meaning. Now, after Jesus was raised from the dead, you may not know this, uh, but Jesus actually walked around for about 40 days after he was raised from the dead. So somewhere around 40 days, he walked around and he taught, he uh, ate with people, he hung out with people in different ways. He actually went fishing with people. Uh, it says there that he had a party and 500 people showed up at his party. Maybe it was a resurrection party. I don't know. 500 people showed up to see him and they were there with him. He was seen by James, it says there, James, you know, James, and this is probably referring to the brother of Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus. And so I think it's really significant that he would be included right here uh, because of this deal. How many of you have a brother? Uh, Brothers, right? Right. Would it be hard to accept the fact that your brother was God? Yeah, mine too. Okay. Just same for me. Same deal. I would need my brother to come back from from the dead before I could believe he was God. So James saw his brother come back to life, and then James now becomes one of his most ardent followers because of that resurrection. And Paul himself says, I saw him. Now, you got to know Paul, he was one of the uh, most ardent skeptics. Uh, maybe even call him the greatest skeptic who really ever lived about Christianity and whether Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. He probably was at the crucifixion. And then later he became uh, the prime guy that was decided that he's going to wipe out Christianity. So he took it upon himself to go around and persecute and kill Christians because he wanted to stamp out this heresy about Jesus Christ and even raised from the dead. And so that was what he was about. And then one day he was going on a mission to go kill some more Christians. And he was on a road to Damascus, the Bible says. And on that road, uh, he was met by the risen Christ in the middle of the road. And so he saw him. And Paul's life was forever changed after that moment. Basically what Paul's saying here is saying, you know what, folks? If you doubt, and he was writing to people who could do this. He says, if you doubt that Jesus rose from the dead, then here's what I want to encourage you to do. Charter a bus and go to Jerusalem. Because when you get to Jerusalem, there are about probably 350 to 400 people still living that you can talk to who saw Jesus Christ walk around and you can ask them, if they had seen him, and then you would know the truth for yourself. There is indisputable eyewitness evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me help you understand that just a little bit more. If I were to say to you, you know, yesterday I went to the coffee shop and I saw the Queen of England. Some of you would be going, you know, that, I know Ron just had a surgery and, you know, I, I, maybe he's still on pain meds. I'm not sure. I don't know. What's he been smoking? You know, that kind of thing. You'd wonder. And I, I, I have, you'd have a reason not to believe me. But if over 500 witnesses said, you know what? We saw her too. She's actually been here for 40 days. In fact, two weeks ago, right downtown Grass Valley, she gave a speech. I was at the gym yesterday working out. And she was right beside me on the treadmill. I saw her too. And here's the deal. When over 500 witnesses say, I saw the Queen of England, that is incontrovertible proof. It's a reality that he actually did raise, come back from the dead. And so if you doubt its truthfulness, honestly, just real honestly today, 
It's because you don't want to believe it. That's the truth. It's because you don't want to believe it. Because the Bible gives evidence that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Not only that, because he was risen from the dead, it gives evidence that he was God. Jesus claimed to be God. He didn't claim just to be a good teacher. He didn't claim to be uh, the leader of a new religion. He came to say, I am God. And when God raised him from the dead, it was God's substantiation or stamp on the claims of Jesus. He truly was God. So there's proof that we can believe. Second is this, second idea. The reality of Easter can change my life when I believe the promise of the resurrection. When I believe the promise of the resurrection. Okay, so here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Would you circle that? Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And so the resurrection gives assurance to the promises that Jesus made while he was on earth. Think about a promise. He was being crucified. There was a thief beside him. He said to that thief, this day you will be with me in paradise, that you will be with me. Think about another promise, John 14. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he says, I will go and prepare a place for you. That's a promise he made. Think about another promise, John eleven twenty five. Jesus is about to or just healed Lazarus from the dead, and he says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was including us in his promises. He's including us in this. So here's the reality of Easter. Jesus has made it possible for you, for you, every one of us, to come back to life after we die. To come back to life and then to spend the rest of eternity with him in a place called heaven. That's his promise for us. Look at how Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 6. God will raise us, circle that, raise us, raise us. He's talking to those who are in Christ, so raise us from the dead by his great power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. So he says here, here's the deal. I'm going to bring you back to life. God says, I'm going to bring you back to life Everyone, all of us, that's the promise. Everyone who has said yes to Christ, I'm going to bring back to life. And then, no, we brought back to life because I sure wouldn't want to come back to life and live it here. He says, I'm going to take you to a place called heaven, to paradise. Now, Peter is reflecting on, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, remember Peter, he was the one that was one of his disciples uh, who denied him three times, uh, before, on the night that Jesus was going to be crucified, I don't know if you can even imagine the enormity of uh, how, what Peter might have felt, the excruciating pain he felt of denying Jesus at that moment. And then when Jesus was raised from the dead, one of the first people he wanted to see was Peter. And as Peter saw him, in Peter's life, he was taken from being uh, this, at the lowest point of his life, and he was just really just, you know, Given all this energy and inspiration, he became the greatest leader of the church next to Paul in the early days. Well, here's what Peter wrote. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again 
because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So here we get born again because Jesus Christ, there's the promise, born again because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now we live with a great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. My wife, uh, Kimberly, and my daughter, Jordan, are in Florida right now, and she went to visit her mom. Uh, her, many of you know this, her dad passed away about 14 months ago. And she had been back once right after her dad was buried, but this is really the first time in a long season that she has not been to Florida. And uh, her mom still lives in the house that she was brought home from the hospital, that Kim was brought home from the hospital in, so there's a lot of memories there. And so Kim and Jordan and her mom went to the cemetery uh, to stand over the grave of her dad. I knew this was happening, so I'd been texting her and, you know, encouraging her, telling her I was praying for her. And, and afterwards, uh, we were able to talk as soon as we could, you know, share a conversation over the phone. I asked her, I said, so, honey, what'd you feel while you were there today? And she said, you know, I felt incredible sadness. I'll never get to see my dad again. She said, I miss his voice so much. I miss his laugh. You know, I miss how he made everyone laugh. I miss how he treasured me as his daughter and always made me feel so special. I just miss the fact that I've never seen him again. And then, she said, at the same time, I feel joy. And so I was, okay, tell me about that, honey. So she did. She said, I feel joy at the same time because I do know that when I stood over that grave, that my dad is not there. I do know that. My faith tells me that. And I do know that even though I will never see him again here, that the promise of the Bible is there will be a day when we will be reunited, and I'll get to be with him. See, that's God's promise for us, that this life is not the end, and these relationships are not the end. There will be a moment in heaven that God has prepared for everyone who knows him where we'll be reunited with our loved ones. And then as Peter says here, we will be able to, to live life in its fullest with the greatest of joy. My wife knew that. And that's what she's looking forward to. That's her expectation. Now you think about expectations. Expectations don't always come true, do they? You think about things that we want to be true or uh, things that we dream about or expectations we have. Uh, For me, uh, one of the expectations that never seems to come up to what I want it to be or what it was built to be, some of you are not going to like me when I say this, okay, is Disney. You know, I just never understand the Disney thing. I don't really get it. I don't get why people go back every year and they want, they can't, they live for it and they want to go. And some of you already are looking at me like, I'm not coming back to this church. But, you know, it, I just don't quite get it. And, 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 so, and I'll tell you a little bit more. Uh, because my wife is from Orlando, is from the, you know, when we started dating, the first time we went to Orlando, we went to Disney. And so every time we go to Orlando, we go to Disney. And we've been there, you know, umpteen times. And uh, so I just remember, I remember going as a couple. 
And, and I remember going with, you know, our kids when Ryan was a baby, and I had that expectation, you know, that's anticipation. I'm going to take Ryan to Disneyland, and he's going to, he'll never forget this moment. It's going to change his life forever that he got to go to Disneyland. You know, you prepare, and you think about it. You get your camera all ready, and then you go there, and you take the tram. You get across, uh, and you get across to where you go in through the gates, and all of a sudden you look ahead, and you see, like, there's 10 million people here today. And if you go in Orlando, it's 90 degrees, 95 degrees, and 95% humidity. So something like that. You're like, oh, and then you go inside, and it's just sweltering hot, and you're walking around, and you're spending gazillions of dollars just to be there, and all trying to buy that fun, and you're just, oh, I better be worth this. And you wait in lines, and if you're lucky, you might get to ride five or six rides for everything that you're paying for that day. And you just go, and then the lines, they're so deceiving. You go through these lines, they look like they're really short, and you go through, and then there's another room you walk into that's all designed with more lines, and you get to go through, and you're hot, and you're sweaty, and people are rude, and just, it's just like, why are we here? And then you're thinking, oh, I just can't wait till we get out of here. Ryan, you better be having fun right now. <laughs> I can't wait till we get out of here. And then, you know, then someone says, oh, can we leave early? No, but there's fireworks. We got to stay for the fireworks all the way to the bitter end. Stay the fireworks. And then you finally go and you're on the tram. You're going back out. And I just, every time we've gone, I look at Kim like, what are we doing? Did we have fun today? You know what? It doesn't live up to the expectation we had. And there's so many things in life that do not live up to the expectation we have. But think about your life. Think about it. You have great expectations on your graduation day. You got your robe on, your cap. You throw your cap in the air. You have great expectation that now you're going to step out into that job and that career. And then a few years later, you're wondering where that job and career is actually taking you. You have a great expectation when you walk down the wedding aisle. And then a few years later, the marriage you walked into wasn't the one that you dreamed about. You have a great expectation of what it will like to be a parent. And then you have kids. <laughs> you have a great expectation of retirement. And then something happens. And your retirement is not what you want it to be. Well, folks, here's what we know and can count on because of the resurrection. Is that because of the resurrection, God has given us a promise and in that promise is an expectation that will not only be met, but will go beyond anything we can dream or imagine, the Bible says. Beyond belief. It will be greater than my expectation. I have a future that Peter says that's been secured for me and that God will be there waiting to give this future to me. The resurrection lets me know I can count on the promise. Third thing is this. The reality of Easter can change my life when I receive the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. So we got to kind of get us up where we're gone so far. So the proof of the resurrection deals with the past, and it deals with the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, and so we have proof of that. Also, that proof helps me to know that Jesus was God, and therefore I can look at his teachings and look at the things he says, and I can build my life on them. So I can look at that. That's you know, kind of the past. The promise of the resurrection deals with the future and the hope that I have, the promise that I'm going to be with God forever in eternity in a place called heaven. Now, those are awesome. That's really cool. And I, I live a lot of my life thinking about those things. And I live a lot of my life looking for God in the here and now. How about you? 
We face struggles. We face difficulties. We face problems. We face our sin. We face the things that we look at and we say, as we're going to look at in a few weeks, why do I keep going in the same cycle? Why do I seem stuck? We look at those things and we wonder about that. Well, here's what the promise of Easter, what the power of Easter does for us. It helps us to live life in the here and now. And I'm so glad that God didn't just give us a promise of the future, but he also gave us the ability to live with power today. Look at what Paul says. It's a prayer, actually. He says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, the whole idea here is this, is that if we're going to experience God's power, and I know that sometimes that this can seem like so far out there and, and you're living in your world and you're thinking, I'm just having a hard time making it. And where's God? Where's his power? How can I access that power? And what happens is, is that when we get in that place of how can I access God's power? How can I make sure I get it? Is that we think that somehow we have to do something to access God's power. You know, it's kind of like at home. If I want my toaster to work, I have to plug my toaster in, right? So I have to access God's power by plugging my toaster in. So what we do in our life is we take our little cord out and we go around and we look for places that we can plug into, thinking that as we plug into there, we're going to be able to access God's power. So what we do is we say, okay, you know what? I know that if I go, wow, if I read this book, somebody told me that they read this book and as they read the book, they were so enlightened that they received God's power. So we go plug into that book and we read it and we think, ah, if I plug into this book, it's going to give me God's power. We say, oh wow, I didn't find God's power there. But you know what? I heard that there's a small a community group and they're doing this study right now. Somebody told me that the other night they felt God's power. So I run over to that community group and I plug in right there. And I think as I plug in right there, I want to experience God's power. And if, oh, it wasn't right there. Oh, you know what? Some of us, I've heard there's a church. There's a church. And if you go there, you're going to experience God's power. So I run over and I plug into that church thinking, if I plug into that church, I'm going to experience God's power. And what I find is I plug into that church. Oh, wow, that church didn't have that power. So I go look for another church. I go find another place I can plug into God's power. Some of us say, you know what? I've read a blog. Somebody told me about this blog. And I'll go to this blog and I'll plug into this blog. And I plug into that. This guru is going to help me to be able to have God's power. And what we find is we end up depleted wondering if God is even real. And here's what God says. It's not where you plug into. It's who's inside of you. It's who's inside of you. Look at what it says in Romans 8. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Lives, oh my word. <laughs> We're going to get crazy here. It lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. The, what's, that, what's the same Spirit? The one who raised Jesus from the what? From the dead lives in you. So where's the power? Right here. Those who are in Christ, right here. So instead of looking where I can plug into to get God's power, what God wants to do is open up our hearts, open up ourselves and experience the power that he's already placed in it, the transformation he makes possible because he is inside of us. You have a power source in you that you are not tapping into. It's available to you. Look at what, um, and here's the reality of Easter when you think about this, the reality of Easter. And this is what helped me so much when I was preparing for this. The reality of Easter is this. Jesus offers his power to me every day. He offers his power to me every day. The problem is I'm not looking for his power every day. I'm not tapping into this power that he's placed inside of me. And what happens is, this is true for me, is that I get stuck then. I get stuck. And some of us are stuck today. Some of us are stuck in harmful behaviors. 
We're stuck in destructive patterns. We're stuck in depressed moods. We're stuck in habitual sin. We're stuck in unbelief. We're stuck in doubt. We're stuck in grief. We're stuck in sadness. We're stuck in lies that say that we don't matter. We're stuck in lies that have squashed us down, that uh, have influenced our self-image. We're stuck in the past, and we seem to be unable to move beyond our habits, hurts, and hang-ups. Well, here's the deal. If you feel stuck, or if you've ever felt stuck in your life, I'm going to begin a series next week. There's a card in your program. You want to look at this if you wanted to. And the title of the series is Unstuck. Okay? Unstuck. And what we're going to do for several weeks is we're just going to go to the Bible. This is for those of us who feel stuck, have ever felt stuck, or think you might be stuck somewhere in the future. Okay? It's for all of us. And we're going to look at what does the Bible say about how I can get unstuck. And for several weeks, we'll be looking at that together. Just love to have you come back and check that out. So that same power that raised Christ from the dead is available for every one of us. One of the pastors I uh, follow on Twitter, he tweeted the other day about a survey that he did. And so what he did is he went out to his Facebook wall and he posted a question. And he asked those who were on his Facebook to respond. And, and the question was this. Uh, by the power of God, I, and he was asking them to say, okay, how have you seen the power of God in your life? By the power of God, I, and here are just a few of the responses that he got back. By the power of God, I finally forgave my dad. By the power of God, I lost 150 pounds and quit smoking. By the power of God, I've forgiven my ex-husband of his unfaithfulness. By the power of God, we have cut our debt and are now giving faithfully to our church. By the power of God, I was cured of an incurable cancer. By the power of God, I overcame drug addiction. I overcame a gambling addiction. I overcame an addiction to pornography. By the power of God, I overcame a sex addiction. By the power of God, I overcame an eating disorder. By the power of God, I raised my special needs child even as a single mom. By the power of God, my marriage was saved. By the power of God, we conceived after being told it would never happen. By the power of God, my adult child contacted me after three years of silence. By the power of God, my husband and I made a change in our lifestyle so we could give more of our time away. By the power of God, I remarried my husband after a long and nasty divorce. By the power of God, I was saved from my sin. By the power of God, I turned back to him after a long trek on the dark side. Folks, by the power of God, Jesus Christ was raised to life. And by the power of God, he can change and transform the impossible. And you may be living in a season right now where you feel like it's impossible. God says, by the power of God, I can change your reality the same way I changed my son's reality, and the same way I've changed the reality of billions of people ever since that day. And that same power is available to you. Now, I was thinking about how to end this, and uh, I, I just love a promise. This is kind of a dream. I'm just going to read a dream to you. It's from Ephesians 3. Paul is writing, and, and I'm going to ask you if you would just grab your message notes, and I'm going to underline or circle some words as I go through this, because I want you to take this with you to, to just remember this is God's dream for you. God's dream for you. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 3. May you experience the love of Christ. Circle that, the love of Christ. Though it is true, too great to understand fully. 
Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life. Circle that. The fullness of life. And power. Go ahead and circle that. And power. That comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more. Circle that. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So here's God's dream. God's dream is because of the resurrection that I will experience Christ's love. I will experience the love that Jesus Christ had that then he chose to go to a cross for me. He says, by the, because of the resurrection, he's saying, here's a dream. Not only will you experience the love of Christ, but you will be made complete as well. That you will experience the fullness of Christ. Jesus called it the abundant life, that you would experience that. The dream is, because of the resurrection, that you will experience the power of God in your life. And he says also, fourthly, the power of the resurrection is that we can accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dream to dare to dare to dream or ask. And when I read that and I thought about the dream that God has for me, I thought, that's the life I want. That's exactly the life I want. Do you? Would you like that life as well? Let's bow our heads and let's pray for just a minute. Because Jesus is risen, his resurrection changes everything. As I said earlier, I would give everyone a chance today to say yes to Jesus if you chose. There's no greater time than Easter. And if you want to, no arm twisting. You can say yes to Jesus today. Just right now in your mind, you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, much as I understand this today, I choose you. I say yes to you. I believe that you are God, that you came to live and to die for me. And I want to accept right now the gift that you made possible by dying on the cross for me. Jesus, I've sinned. There's no question. And I ask you right now to forgive me. I feel sorrow, deep sorrow for my sin. I ask you to make me clean. I thank you so much for that cleansing. And right now, I just want to tell you, I want to live the rest of my life under your teachings, in your power. God, I pray for all of us today that as we came to Easter, I don't know what all the expectations were. Whether we wanted to be here or were coerced to be here by someone. It's my prayer that we've seen you and that we would be open to what you want to do in our lives, God. And for some of us, we desperately want to see you work. We're in a tough, hard patch. So today, God, we ask that you would show yourself real, you would show your power in our lives. Because, God, we truly want to live in a way that would honor you and that you would get all the glory from everything we do or say. And I thank you so much for the power of the resurrection. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.